Hey, everybody. Welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of MileMarker. My co-host is Judd Mackerel, co-founder of MileMarker as well. Connected is a show about the people and technologies that are shaping and building the wealth management industry. More people than ever are searching for great financial advice, and more firms than ever are trying to figure out how to scale their operations to serve those who are searching for their advice. We believe that better connected technology provides the space for better connected people, which leads to better advice. Welcome to Connected. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Connected Advisor. I am your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of MileMarker. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by none other than Penny Phillips. Penny is the president and co-founder of Journey Strategic Wealth, uh, which is an awesome RIA platform that we're going to talk a little bit more about today. She's also one of the most prolific thought leaders in our industry when it comes to like practice management, growing a firm, and just how to keep your sanity when working in this business. We're also celebrating with her because she just got engaged and we're really happy about that. So Penny, uh, did I miss anything? And did I make sure to end with the most important part? Congratulations on being engaged. Thank you so much. My biggest accomplishment for sure. And I don't know if I have the staying sane part down pat. Like I have no wisdom around that. But um, it's great to be here. I, I can't believe I haven't done this one before. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Thanks so much for coming. I want to start off with uh, kind of something that you're a little bit known for in the space and talking about this phrase of you believe the industry needs to stop encouraging advisors to be CEOs. We should let them just be great advisors instead. I think this is provocative because there is a lot of stuff about, hey, like it's time to turn into a CEO. You got to like leave behind these days of managing clients. It's time to grow and scale your business. So with you saying, hey, stop telling people to do that. Just let them be advisors. What's behind that? Unpack that for us. Sure. And this is really the the whole mission of journey. And it's why I left consulting. You know, I've spent my career consulting and coaching advisors. And for a long time, it was around, you know, helping really good producer, rainmaker, business development officer type advisors become the CEO of their businesses, because that was sort of the next phase of their evolution, if you will, within the firms that they were at. And what I found over the course of my consulting was that so many advisors are accidental entrepreneurs or or intrapreneurs, I call them, if they're building within a firm. They happen to be very good at sort of building a business and inspiring others, but they don't really love running the business. They never loved running the business. They never got into the business to build an enterprise or to handle operations or you know maximize valuation. Like these were things that were never on their mind. They enjoyed planning and working with clients. But the, the only natural path for them forward within any of the firms they were at was to either leave, go independent, right? Leave the, the constraints of the home office and build their own business or climb the ranks in the firm that they were at by building a firm internally. And what I found, especially during the pandemic, especially when I was taking into account all of the change in the industry with advisors aging out, like we need more advisors. We need quality advisors. We need advisors to stay advising. And so I just love this idea of giving advisors permission 
to not be the CEO. Like you can still build a wildly successful business. You can still own the business. You could still be totally fulfilled, maximize valuation, but not actually have to be the CEO. And I think we're going to see more models like Journey that allow advisors to just be advisors moving forward because, you know, the industry's changing once again. And we're finding that it's really hard to run a business and we shouldn't waste advisors' time by forcing them to do that. Yeah, that's great. Okay. You, you mentioned something there that I want to unpack because this is something I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and, and looking at. But you talked about how there's not enough advisors, right? And I think there's, a, there's kind of three things happening you know, through COVID, the explosion of demand for quality financial advice. Like if you look at any of the Google search trends or any of that, like the search keyword searches for financial planning or financial advice are, are sky high through the roof, right? Yes. You also have advisors aging out like you talked about. So we have demand for advice going up. We have the number of people reaching retirement age or going out of the business also going up but we also don't have enough young people getting into the business. So, I mean, what do you think that is? Like, how do we get more young people interested in being financial advisor? Maybe it is saying, hey, you don't have to run a business to be an advisor. You can just be a great planner. But it, it sort of feels like a, a car crash is coming, right? If we got yes. all these people who want advice, the people who are providing it now are going to be retiring or aging out, and there's not enough people coming in to backfill it. Um, seems to be a story in a lot of industries. But how do you think about that? I actually have a totally different view than I think most people on this. I think speaking as a former consultant, like as an industry, we love to scare the hell out of advisors. Like we were talking about robo advisors, like you're going to be replaced by a robo, like you need to evolve. Like I agree, everybody needs to evolve, right? But the next thing we were saying is like, advisors are aging out of the industry. There are not as many to replace them. Like you need to get your stuff together. I probably can't curse on this, but like you need to build G2 successors on your team or else like it's over. The reality is, is like, are there more advisors retiring than coming into the business? E technically, yes. But is the industry consolidating so much that firms are going to solve for that by scaling advice? I, yeah, I also think yes, too. Here's what I mean by that. The solo advisor that doesn't have a succession plan, that's really who we're worried about, right? The solo advisor who's an amazing advisor, who's aging out, they don't have a succession plan, what's going to happen to their clients? Guess what? They can sell their business to virtually any... There's so many acquirers, Journey being one of them. Somebody is going to buy their business, solve for continuity, solve for succession. Because what we're actually missing in our business is not the practitioner advisor, right? The CFP. I actually think we have more CFPs now or coming into the business than ever before because a lot of universities and colleges have these CFP programs. What we don't have are the rainmaker advisors, right? The advisors that have what I call that X factor where they can build a business, they can run a business, they can do financial planning, they can just like, hunt and kill it. Like that is a dying breed. So we're losing those advisors. And I, I think that is going to create a growth and business development gap. But, and I think we need more of those, but I think we'll be okay in terms of having advisors actually providing advice and service to clients. How do we get more young people in the business? Candidly, again, I think the industry is going to solve for this. Taking more of the teaming approach, not requiring advisors to be advisors and also salespeople. Like the younger gen isn't as hungry for that any, as they were anymore. The, the older generation of advisor got into the business 
let's just be honest, because many of them started as salespeople making a lot of money selling individual products to clients. That has gone away. So by continuing to promote this sort of teaming ensemble approach where you join as a salaried employee, just delivering advice, I think will naturally pull, you know, younger, younger, more diverse planners into the business in the years to come. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, kind of models that uh, maybe this isn't the best model to look at, but it's like how law firms work. You don't, you're so not true. expected to bring in clients when you first come out of law school. You're expected to learn how to be a great lawyer and how to solve clients' problems, and then you go bring them in. But I want to dig into that, though, too, because I actually think you're you're really spot on about uh, the Rainmaker advisor going away. And you know, one thing we think about a lot at MileMarker is how to help firms grow. We're trying to provide them with data and insights to know how to grow. We're trying to help um, provide a growth platform for them, all of that stuff. But you still have to go out there and, and work the leads and bring them in and all of that stuff. Do you think it's... Well, I don't know. I'll just open it up. Like, Why do you think that the Rainmaker style advisor is going away? Like, What do you think is causing that? Gosh, there's so many reasons for it. One of the reasons is psychographic in nature. What I mean by that is like when you look at the profile of a young advisor versus the profile of a, a baby boomer advisor, right? Or those who are, you know, in the 60, 70 year range, like they're just totally different people, let alone salespeople, right? We're in now a participation trophy, positive reinforcement, instant gratification society. And so when you look at the younger generation, it is a lot harder for them to, I say, sort of create from scratch, right? Come in with no blueprint, no game plan, and just use like raw cold calling sales talent to, to make something. And again, I'm generalizing here, but, but and, and the reason is because we didn't grow up in a sort of culture and society like that. This is positive reinforcement world, right? You gain confidence, you build skill sets. How? by likes, by the number of likes and positive reinforcement you get. You know, our dopamine is sort of like being throttled like every single day. Very, very different from the advisor, how the advisor of the past grew up in a society where like you don't hit your numbers, you're out of the business. It was a negative reinforcement culture. It was a culture where you had to face a ton of rejection. Um, the younger generation, I mean, you, you know, you can break up with people behind a you know, behind a social media platform. Like you never have to really face rejection. And so it's changed the sales culture entirely. And so I think that's part of it. Um, I think the the other part of it is like the demand for advice has changed. People aren't looking for a product to be sold to them. They want an experience. The, um, the consumer is getting used to the idea of financial planning as a discipline versus like just buying an individual stock. So both of those things together have changed the way in which we grow an advisory business, the problem is advisors in so many organizations are still comped as producers. So there's a major disconnect between how advisors actually get paid and build businesses and the way in which they think about business now. And so it's it's just we're in an interesting conundrum right now. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right on, on all of those points. And it makes me think, OK, well, well, what next? Right. Because a lot of the big national RIAs have lots of advisors who 
uh, I think many would say are independent, right? But they have a centralized brand. So they have, maybe they're running commercials to bring people to the, the big bucket and the business development and sales is happening at that national level. And then they're filtering clients down to the advisors who want to do it. Do you think, hey, that that's what happens? Rainmaking kind of becomes a, a firm responsibility and you can still have independence, but you're just going to kind of have clients fed to you? Or is it like, hey, if you want to be independent, figure this out. We might bring some leads to you, but you're still going to have to work them and close them. This is such an important conversation because if you look at statistics around growth and new business development, I always say the stats that you read are very different from individual conversations you have with advisors. So if you have a conversation with 90% of advisors running independent businesses and you ask them how they grew last year, most of them are going to tell you through referrals. And they're going to say, we didn't even ask for referrals. We're just good at what we do. People love us. They're continuing to recommend people work with us. But if you read any of the industry statistics on how firms are growing, I mean, the numbers are skewed because we're consolidating as an industry and the fastest growing firms are firms of 5 billion or more. And how are they growing? They're growing through things like search engine optimization, inbound marketing, right? Putting content out there that grabs an audience. And so the the honest answer is, I think that is that the latter is what we're going to see, right? Firms institutionalizing client acquisition because we're going to have less rainmakers, um, because firms want to have those advisors just delivering advice. But in the advisor's view, it really depends on what you want to build. If you want to build a lifestyle practice where you are working with just the type of people you want to work with, you want to have a boutique niche practice, you can still build a firm that's heavily reliant on referrals and your prospecting. But if you want to build an enterprise or you just want to deliver advice, then guess what? Growth is going to have to come from something other than your efforts. So the answer is both depending on what type of firm the advisor is building. Yeah, I think that's good because I, I think maybe there's varying levels of independence, right? Because it's like you can totally go independent and be at a place that that lets you pick the the products and the investment products that you think are best. You're not having, you know, proprietary things that you have to push or shove or all of that. Maybe that's a level of independence, but everything else is institutionalized. I think if you want to maintain your own brand and all of that stuff, but plug into a platform, well, like you also have to commit to being a rainmaker too, because, right. you know, they can't help market your brand uh, that's exactly at an institutional right. level, right? So that's interesting. When I think about institutionalizing business development, I think about institutionalizing a lot of this stuff. And outsourcing is kind of a big trend that that we're seeing. You know, people have outsourced asset management for a long time, either through model portfolios or using TAMPs or things like that. But you're starting to see a lot of stuff. I mean, even in my business, you know, people are outsourcing technology to us or they're outsourcing other things. When you think about this idea of advisors shouldn't have to be CEOs, they should be advisors. Is that really at its core? Hey, you should outsource as much as you possibly can that isn't your genius of being an advisor and doing planning? Exactly. And we went so far as to say, not only should you outsource the investment piece, right? And the operations piece, which is usually what advisors think of when they think of outsourcing, right? They outsource the investment management, like trading, you know, we, we said, no, you should outsource running your entire firm. And, and this was the, what we were trying to solve for this idea that you should outsource the running of the firm to experts who know how to run businesses and you could still own the business. Like that was what advisors had to give up. If they were outsourcing everything in their firm, theoretically, they would have to sell their firm to a bigger organization and just become, you know, an employee advisor. What we're saying is like, you can outsource everything 
and still own your business, right? You you outsource it to a firm like us who in some cases outsources some of our stuff to other firms. But what what we're responsible for is helping the advisor gain scale and efficiency as quickly as possible. And that's something that's incredibly hard to do when you're also responsible for actually being the technician, right? Delivering the advice, running the financial plans. And so that's exactly what we're saying. But we're saying, take it a step further, outsource the investment piece, but also outsource the C-suite executive piece because you don't want to be responsible for being the CMO, the COO, the HR manager, et cetera. And we found a nice little niche there because I think a lot of advisors are, are, are wanting that, but just don't know where to find that model. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I agree with that, obviously. It's, it's me talking my book a little bit. But I also think what we've seen is because a firm like Journey can get scale by doing this for a lot of advisors, you can offer an entire C-suite for the fraction of what it would cost that firm to go out and hire all of those people internally. They don't have to manage them now, et cetera. This is all the parts of being a CEO that you're talking about. But it's sort of, it does, it's a, it's a shortcut to having all of that infrastructure in place that you would eventually get to, but you might not have the revenue to do it, et cetera, all of those things to hire all those people yourself. But if you come to a platform like Journey or you come to a mile marker, you can get these things without having to spend what market would be. And you don't have to pay for the benefits and you don't have to pay for all these sort of things, right? It's a huge win. Exactly right. And I have found that advisors are willing to pay a premium for having what I call the, the peace of mind, right? But but peace of mind as it relates to, am I making the right decisions about the business? And ultimately, if I'm making the wrong decision, like who has my back to correct it? Because look, I built a business before Journey coaching and consulting advisors, right? And they would hire our firm to help them make decisions about, about the, the future of their business, about hiring, how to sequentially hire, but at the end of the day, we were independent contractors and the onus was on the advisor to ultimately implement. And so what I thought, I mean, I'm biased, was sort of brilliant about Journey, and we're not the only firm doing it this way, but we're one of few, is, is not only are we providing that sort of consulting, and mile marker is very similar, by the way, we're actually implementing. So we're saying to the advisor, like, here's the way you should be thinking, I'm making this up, about bonusing associate advice. Number one question I would get asked as a consultant, how do we compensate key members of our team, i.e. advisors, right? So not only are we sharing with them the knowledge around, here's how other firms are doing it, here's how you should think about it, here's what makes sense for your P&L, we're actually then running payroll for them. So the advisor signs off and says, yes, I love that, or, hmm, I want to think of it this way. We're having that conversation as if we're a behind-the-scenes C-suite team, and then we're because we're actually running payroll, we're actually implementing it. So all the advisor has to do is sort of like think with us, make the ultimate decision. But there's that peace of mind around if they don't know if it's the right decision. Oh, by the way, as former consultants, we're here to say like you're on the right track or not. And it's a nuanced difference with just having like a practice management coach versus like actually having that embedded in our service with the advisor, which is what really makes us different. And I think it's what makes Mile Marker different too. You're seeing it. It's what you're building your business around. We're seeing it. It's what we're building our business around is that we just heard firms continue to say, I don't just need another tool or I don't need somebody to tell me what to do. I need somebody to help me do it or to do exactly. it. Exactly. You know, you can give somebody the greatest electrician's tools in the world. If they don't know how to run wire, those tools aren't going to help them. They need an electrician. Right. And and that's what's happening. And, you know, you, you've, you've hit on this, but I'll, I'll harp on it again. But 
In our industry, more than any other industry in the world, advisors are expected to do everything, like to figure out everything. It's wild. It's crazy. Most other small businesses, you know, you're able to have other people to help you with this, all of these sort of things. And I think we're just now getting to a place where it's like, hey, you really can outsource a lot of this infrastructure, but still own your business. I actually think that's the key insight is like yes. outsource and own. Yes. Um, and And when advisors talk about wanting to be independent, what I found was that what that really means is they want to own their data, the book that they built, and their client relationships. It doesn't mean that they want to go on their own. Like I've seen so many ads for different firms, right? Like different aggregators and platforms, like own your ADV. That means you're truly independent. Like Technically not. Advisors are in our ADV, but they own their book of business. They can walk away at any time with no restrictions, no non-solicits, no restrictive covenants. You own your clients. You want to leave. You're not happy. You want to go do this somewhere else or you want to sell. You have the right to do that. You've built this business. Like We philosophically sort of feel like independence should mean independence from doing the and freedom from doing the things you hate doing, but ultimately independence over like ownership over what you've built. And if you think about how our industry is evolving, especially in the independent and RIA space, for a long time, we've moved from advisor at big institution to advisor leveraging a platform for infrastructure and then building themselves to now saying, well, the industry is changing so fast. Like, even with core infrastructure, advisors still need to be up to speed on so many things in the business. We should just do that for them, but allow them to sort of like own own what they've built. And that's that's where we're at right now. Yeah, I love that. So I think that's a good segue and opportunity to talk about what makes Journey different, right? Because I think what's so hard from you know, what you see online or all of these things is it's like, oh, you know, all of these platforms are just providing infrastructure or it's a, it's a firm that might buy my business or whatever. But what makes you different? Because I would say Journey is kind of an aggregator 2.0, right? Yep. Like we kind of had these first people who proved the model and they were wildly successful. The names everybody knows. But now there's been a couple of firms cropping up like Journey that is kind of like, hey, okay, I see how that worked, but I think there's a way to evolve that model to make it better. I'd love for you to talk about, okay, what are those evolutions? Like what, yeah. what does make Journey different and why are you a better fit for a lot of firms now? Yeah, and we're not a fit for everyone. And I will say that like totally candidly. And that's part of sort of the beauty of, of it. We're built for a very specific type of advisor, one that has sort of looked at all the models and has said, and this is literally why we built the firm. I wish that I could take like what's great about the wirehouse, what I loved about the wirehouse what I loved about, you know, the independent channel, what I love about like the full-fledged RIA and like meld them all together. That's what we did. We took what we felt was the pros of each of the models and it essentially put them together. The one thing we saw that we didn't want to compete around was this issue of like high payout, right? A lot of advisors leaving captive institutions or leaving the big broker dealers or the insurance BDs, wirehouses, they're, they're being wooed to the independent space by a firm saying, we're going to give you 90%. You're going to be independent. So much better out here in the independent world. And what we saw was that that model didn't solve for the advisor's fundamental challenges. The fundamental challenges are like how to run a business efficiently and effectively and set it up ultimately for monetization. And so what we thought is, well, what if we can provide advisors with a structure where we do everything for them? but still enable them to take home more in pay 
than they would take home if they were running a business and paying themselves out of net profits, right? The advisors with the 90% payouts building a growing business are netting between somewhere in the 40% range, right? So a lot of advisors are focused on payout when the reality is net profits are really what you should be thinking about as an independent business owner. So we pay advisors 50%. We'll go higher depending on revenue. And we run the business for the advisor. They don't have another expense. We do everything from helping them think about how to hire. I mean, ultimately, it's their decision how they sort of grow and evolve. But like we're helping them every step of the way. Here's how you comp people. Here's who your next hire should be. Here's how you segment. If you want to move up market, here's how you should think about pricing. Like as consultants, we do everything behind the scenes. The advisor ultimately is leading their practice. They don't have to sell the business to us. They can. And we tend to attract a lot of advisors who are looking for support in de-risking and passing the business on to generation two in the next seven or so years. We really can help and provide capital, but we want the advisor to feel like they have control over their destiny. They're not ready to sell. They want to continue to grow and scale the business. We can help with that. They're ready to sell. Great. We can help with that too. So it's, it's this sort of combination of like being independent, but having a firm really help you institutionalize everything behind the scenes. Our biggest differentiators are that our, our number one practice management is part of our core offering. We meet with our advisors monthly and quarterly, helping them every step of the way grow and evolve their business. Our advisors are both W2 and 1099, so they get the benefits of full full benefits, but also have, you know, the 1099 structure you know, advisors write stuff off through, through their entities. Um, and so we don't want them to lose the benefit of being independent. And there are no restrictions in our contracts. Advisors can leave us at any time. People think we're crazy for that. I think it's a firm's responsibility, especially as an aggregator, to consistently be adding value. We talk to a lot of advisors who are wanting to leave the traditional aggregators right now. And almost every case, it's because they feel like they're not getting value anymore. Yeah, We don't want to be in that game. If it's between lowest cost or highest value, we're providing highest value. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's excellent. Um, yeah, I want to just revisit what you talked about with the net payout, because I think that like that is everything for advisors or net net profit, right? When you think about these things, because everybody does get enticed by, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep all my money. But then you have to spend all of that money to do all the things to run the firm anyway. So even if you got to keep 100% of it, how much of that do you have to spend to be able to run this? And that's actually what matters, right? That's exactly right. Which is is really good. And then I I think your last point there, just to bookend this about having to earn their business at all times is is really good because all of these things are sort of based on on lockups and it's like hey are you know if you are my partner and you're my infrastructure i would be able to to quote unquote fire an employee if i had them right why why do i have a contract with you that i can't get out of if you're not performing for me you look at you know the example of a lot of these sort of aggregators popped up the last you know 10 or so years because it was really easy to sort of pull together like investments and tech and HR and compliance and bundle that together and provide it to advisors, right? But what we found because the industry is changing so much, especially the fintech space, things have changed rapidly. And philosophically, we just believe that it's our responsibility to not just offer like a core infrastructure, to constantly be evolving and updating that infrastructure and getting feedback from our advisors on how it should evolve. Like tech is a great example of this. 
just putting together a tech stack and offering that to advisors isn't enough as an aggregator. Like you need to be telling advisors, here's a new piece of tech that you should be looking at. Do you want us to add it to your tech stack for you? Uh, or, you know, you should be thinking about X, Y, Z as it relates to solutions you can offer your, like, it's our responsibility as the quote unquote home office to consistently do that for advisors. I think that's how you def- differentiate as an aggregator, because the reality is, is advisors can just go out, do this on their own and be pretty okay without the back office, if you will, if you're not doing more than just the table stakes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, insightful as well, because as you're saying that, it made me think like, okay, people left the wirehouse to go to the big broker dealers, but that's because compliance was still a really challenging thing, right? Like you're still selling all these commission-based products. You're still doing all of this stuff. Like compliance was a lot. When everybody started moving to being a a fee-only RIA, for example, not that compliance is easy, but it got simpler, right? Because everything rolls up under an AUM model, all of these sort of things, you're not in this web of commissioned products that it's like, okay, so yeah, let's bundle all of these things together and, and add the value there. Well, like I can go buy my own technology. I can go buy, you know, these sort of things. I can, I can use an outsourced compliance consultant. Like I need, you know, where's the value at? And I know your background is a lot in practice management. I see so much demand for that. Like you're talking about is everybody's going, okay, I know I need to grow. I know I need to move beyond referrals only. I know I need to do these things. How do I do it? Can somebody actually teach me how to do these things? And is it somebody who really knows what they're talking about? You know, have they ever done this before kind of thing? That's exactly right. And there's also a difference between, because some some of the firms out there will offer, and the big broker dealers do, right? They have like practice management teams, right? I mean, they're really, most of them are relationship managers who are there to manage like advisor you know, complaints. And it's a very reactive model. With us, we believe that to add value to the advisor as the experts, you need to consistently be going and educating the advisor on how the industry is changing and evolving. Like, it's my job to go to our advisors and say, I mean, this is a very simple example, but like when Holista Plan first came out, like talk about adding tax planning to their to their practices and how can you integrate that type of tool into, into your review meeting agendas. And so having somebody who's consistently going to the advisors and saying like, hey, here's what you're charging and planning fees, like the industry's changing a bit. Here's what you, you may want to think about. That's where we really add value. It's a proactive approach to consulting and coaching our advisors. And it it makes a huge difference as you look at, you know, the advisors that are wildly successful, usually working with, you know, someone helping them sort of make decisions versus the advisors who are kind of have plateaued. Yeah, very good. All right. I want to move beyond some of this, the, the, the true work related stuff. I want to ask you a little bit about um, in my research, I saw you went to the London School of Economics and Political Science. I want to hear what that was like. Tell us about that experience. Oh, gosh. No one's ever asked me about that. Um, I was in an international program for college here in the States. We had to go study somewhere else abroad. It was an unbelievable program. I chose London because I wanted to study finance. Incredible experience. I joke and say, I don't know if I've used anything from college in my work. Like I definitely didn't go to school to be a consultant or build an RAA, right? But, but you know, I think what was most interesting was just being around people with vastly different backgrounds and cultures and perspectives and views on the world. And I think that's part of why I've been successful connecting with all different types of advisors, ages, demographics, like geographies, like part of, um, I think what got me sort of accustomed to that was 
obviously living somewhere else and going to school with people from all over the world. It was very cool. It was an awesome experience. Yeah, that's super cool. What was, because you were were there for a little while, obviously, like what was your favorite thing about London outside of, you know, doing the classwork? I mean, London's an awesome city. It's funny because I grew up, anybody who knows me, I'm first generation American. My parents are from Greece, extremely strict. I remember you know, I'd never stayed, I've never been away from home. I'd never slept out. My father never let me have a sleepover. I always talk about like the, the, you know, growing up like with crazy parents like that, who I love and adore, but just experiencing sort of a different city and one that was like close enough a little bit to New York, but had the, the European feel of like a Greece, which was a place I was used to. The city's awesome, awesome food. It was very cool just being in a different place. Yeah. Awesome. All right. My last question for you before we wrap up, uh, you've been able to do some cool travel stuff. Like what's the the number one destination still on Penny's bucket list? Like where do you want to travel that you haven't been to yet? Oh gosh, that's a good one. I really want to do, I had a list. I've checked off some of them. I checked off Thailand. I checked off China, Kenya and Morocco are still on there. So I'd love to do that. I've traveled quite a bit in the U S you know, obviously speaking to advisors, but, but, the, the international, those two places are still on my list. Kenya and Morocco are good yeah. ones. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Any conferences that you know of there, that always gets me to places, you know, like. Uh, <laughs> Anybody listening, if you're throwing a conference yeah. in Kenya or Morocco, shoot the invite out to Penny. I'll come uh, speak. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, Penny, this this was jam-packed full of insights, um, full of uh, of a lot of I think interesting and different perspectives on how a lot of these things work. So I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much. I'll happy to come back anytime. Yeah, lovely. Uh, before we let you go, do you want to shout out anything? And if not, where can people find you and connect with you? Sure. I'm all over LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find me at journeyswadvisor.com. This is about so much more than building an RAA for me. This is about giving advisors a forever home, taking everything I've learned and heard from them over the past 15 years and try to build it into something that I know is really going to make them feel fulfilled and like the industry's listening. And so that is really important to me with all the private equity money pouring into our space. I think we can, it's great, but we can get away sometimes from what the advisor actually wants Mm. for themselves and their clients. And that's really what we're focused on day in and day out. What a great way to end. Uh, All right, everybody, this has been another episode of Connected. Thank you for tuning in and we will be in your ears on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Connected. This podcast is brought to you by MileMarker and it is produced by Turncast. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review it helps us and our show. And for more information about MileMarker and Connected, visit us at milemarker.co.